Father, as we always do, we just thank You for the opportunity to gather uh, as Your people. And we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for how You speak to us through these ancient words. But we always confess as well that we need Your help to understand them. And so we just ask that You would fill us with Your Holy Spirit, that we would be able to, to hear what You have to say to us. Uh, through these words of Psalm 30. And, and that we would be able to hear uh, not just what they meant then, but what they mean for us today, and especially how they connect to what Jesus has done for us. Uh, and, and the way that You have shown Your love so clearly through Jesus. And so, we just ask that You would speak to us, lead us, and it's in His name, in the name of Jesus, that we pray this. Amen. Well, this week as I was uh, studying for this message, I came across a book that's been on my shelf for a while by an Old Testament scholar named Walter Brueggemann. And I kind of wish I would have stumbled across this book a while earlier because it really would have helped. He, he, he basically says in his introduction that there's only really a, a two kinds of psalms. He boils it all down to, to two different kind of genres. Everybody uh, kind of argues over how many different kinds of psalms there are. And he has just this really simple approach. He says there's two kinds of psalms. And he calls them psalms of orientation and psalms of disorientation. Psalms of, of orientation are, are psalms that are, are born out of a, a place of, of feeling settled and satisfied, uh, of confident and, and thankful, of uh, giving praise to God, expressing joy. These are, are psalms of orientation. Uh, psalms of disorientation, as you would guess, are, are exactly the opposite. They, they are songs of, of feeling hurt and, and depressed and, and suffering. These are what are also called sometimes psalms of, of lament. Psalms that raise more questions than answers. Psalms that say things like, How long, O Lord? How long? Uh, and, and Brueggemann says that, that many psalms settle in one of those or another. There's certainly psalms that are just primarily orientation and primarily disorientation. Uh, but, but overall, most psalms, and then the whole book as a whole, tends to move from one point to another. And that point being from disorientation to orientation, from, from a place of wondering where God is and what He's doing to a settled place of, of confidence in who He is and, and what He has done. The, the Psalms tend to move from disorientation to orientation, from lament and questions to joy and confidence. And if you kind of zoom out even more broadly, there's a sense in which that's kind of the whole storyline of the entire Bible. It starts off in a very settled place. The first human beings being perfectly with God, but through their rebellion and sin, everything gets jacked up. And the story of, uh, across the Bible is, is about God slowly making all things new. God slowly setting everything right until we ultimately see Him face to face and it's made perfectly right. We can, we can see this trajectory in the Bible. We can also see this trajectory in our lives, particularly those of us who... Uh, would call themselves Christians. Those of us who walk closely in relationship with God, there's, there's a movement from these, these questions and these, these difficulties and these troubles towards a more settled place, a place of faith and, and trust. And, and that's what Psalm 30 is all about today. It, it's all about that, that movement. It's about this the God that, that transforms circumstances. It transforms our, our attitude in the midst of difficult things. It's about this great reversal when things seem to be going one way and it's not good, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, 
God steps in and completely changes everything and, and turns us in a new direction. And, and this is going to raise the question, where have you seen this in your life? How has God changed your circumstances? How has God changed your heart? How has God brought you through a, a similar movement? Where, where, where you were in a place of, of questioning and, and darkness down in a, a pit or a hole like we're going to see in Psalm 30. And how has He potentially brought you out of that at different points in time? Or maybe even right now. And the heading of this song, as we start to, to dive into it, it speaks to this a little bit, but in a bit of a, a roundabout way, not directly. It says, Psalm 30 is a psalm of David. A song at the dedication of the temple. And, and so this is actually one of, of 14 psalms that have a bit of a backstory from David's life. But this is one of a couple of those 14 that it kind of technically has a backstory, but nobody understands exactly what it means. Because... If you know your Old Testament story, the temple was not constructed until after David died. David dies kind of commissioning the temple, and the one who builds the temple is his son Solomon. And so what does this mean? There's a bunch of different theories about what it means. Maybe he's looking forward, but there's nothing in the psalm that has anything to do with the temple, so it's not clear. Maybe this was when he dedicated the site of the temple. Maybe this is a, a general dedication to, uh, of buildings or something else, but it, kind of doesn't really fit because there's nothing about buildings and stuff uh, in, in the midst of this psalm. But whatever it means, it probably means that this was written later in David's life. And that's a key insight. Because if you know David's story, you know he went through all kinds of crazy things. He went through all kinds of times of, of in Brueggemann's language, disorientation. Uh, he, he went through all kinds of reversals and, and experienced all kinds of deliverance. He was a young man chosen to be king. Incredibly unlikely person to, to end up in that place. He, he was delivered from this crazy fight with a guy named, uh, a giant named, named Goliath. He was pursued by the, je the jealous king at the time, king, king Saul, and he was pursued again later in life by his own son Absalom who was trying to kill him and, and take over the kingdom. So David has been through some serious stuff in his life. And this is written from the vantage point of, of looking back on that. It's written looking back on what God has done for him. All the ways that he has delivered. All the ways he felt like he was down in a pit and God delivered him. And it's going to raise the question, how have you experienced something similar? So let's look at what David says. And I want you to try to crawl into to, to each verse, each image that he kind of paints for us here this morning. See where you might fit in with it. And then how we're supposed to respond together. So here's where he begins. Verse 1, it starts off here with a section of, of praise. David praising God for what he has done for him. He says, I will extol you, I'll praise you, I'll exalt you, because you have drawn me up. This phrase, drawn me up, uh, is, a, is a phrase meaning pulled me up. It's the same kind of language as if you'd pull a bucket up from a well. And that's the image here. David felt like he was down in a deep, dark pit. And he's praising God because he reached down and he pulled him up. Not just that, he said, he said you also not let my foes rejoice over me. He says, I felt like my enemies were about to crush me, but you saved me. He goes on and he says, I cried out to you to help, uh, but you healed me. I was sick to the point of death. I called out for help and you, you healed me, he says. 
And then thirdly, he says, you brought up my, my soul, the essence of my life, is this Old Testament word for soul, uh, from, from Sheol, which means the, the depths of the grave. It's, it's almost a parallel image to this being drawn up like a deep dark well. Uh, he said, I felt like I was in the, the, the depths of death, and you restored my life, he says. He says, I was down in a pit. My enemies were upon me. I was sick to the point of death. I was near death itself. And you delivered me. It's possible that this is all literal. It's possible that he was actually in all these circumstances. It's possible that he was thrown down in a hole and got pulled up. But more than likely, it's, it's, it's like so many of the other Psalms, this is kind of a, a metaphorical image. David went through a lot, and, and this doesn't correspond to any circumstances that we know from his life. So I think it's probably more likely the way he feels. He felt like he was in a pit. He felt like he was sick to the point of death. He felt like enemies were upon him. And God pulled him up. He rescued him. He healed him. He restored his life. Just when things seemed most dark, came a, a huge reversal, a transformation, a, a deliverance. He went from disorientation to a, a new orientation, a, a settled place, a, a thankful place, a joyful place in response to what God had done for him. Let's just pause for a minute and reflect on that. Where have you experienced something like that in your own life? Maybe, maybe something practical. I was, I was talking to somebody this week who has dealt with debilitating migraines that have just affected every aspect of her life many times over the course of a month. And she, she got this, this new kind of experimental medication, and now uh, it, it's like a miracle for her. She's only uh, having a, a one or two of these headaches a month she kind of feels like this in a very practical way. Like, like she was down in a pit. It's hard to even function. And yet God delivered her. God set her free. And, and she's just like full of joy now about, about like, man, two debilitating migraines a month. That's amazing. Because in the context of her life, that's, that's a, a, a huge deliverance, a huge reversal. Have you experienced anything like that in your life? Maybe a time when you were stuck financially and it looked like things were just over and somehow God provided. Maybe something more internal or spiritual. I want you to start to, to think about this psalm. I want you to think about these images and what David is saying and see where you identify with it. Well, he starts off with this, this personal praise and then he continues on into an invitation. He starts off saying, praise God for all that you've done. Then he invites, and we've seen this pattern before in other psalms, then he, 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 he expands it out and invites everybody to join in. He says, sing praises to the Lord, O you His saints. All of God's people sing praises and give thanks. He gives two imperative commands. Everyone sing and give thanks for what God has done. And he talks more about what it's like. He says, for His anger is but for a moment. And His favor is for a lifetime. Now why does he say anger here? Well, anger was often associated in Old Testament times, and for that matter, New Testament times too. It was associated with, with consequences and, and sickness. When bad things happened, the common assumption was God is angry. And there's some truth to that, and then there's some not truth to that as well. But sometimes, certainly consequences follow sin and rebellion against God. And so there's definitely a sense in which this is true, at least in, 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 at times. But what he says here is for God's people, God's, 
judgment and His discipline is short-lived compared to His favor. His judgment and discipline only last for a moment when you look back, but His grace endures for a lifetime and even beyond. And this is the opposite of what's the case for those who don't belong to God. Those who don't belong to God, it's actually completely reversed. His, his favor lasts but for a moment. You get, you get a few blessings along the way in this life, and yet His anger and His judgment last eternally. He says again, kind of mirroring this, weeping may tarry, weeping may continue for the night, but joy comes in the morning. He says, as, as sure as the morning follows the nighttime, things are going to go in a different direction if you belong to God. It doesn't mean that everything will be perfect. It doesn't mean you'll get everything you want. It doesn't mean that, that everything that's a mess will be fixed in the near term. But it means that ultimately, for God's people, there is a trajectory and, and it is headed towards a place of joy and satisfaction and blessing. And even if that only is fully realized in eternal life with God, it is still heading towards that place. That is the great hope of Scripture. That's the great hope of David. It's the great hope of the Psalms. It's the great hope of all the Bible and all God's people. Judgment, discipline, consequences will follow sin. But, but for those who belong to God, there's always a movement towards joy. Again, I want you to reflect on this. Where, where have you seen this kind of movement in your life? Where have, you, where have you seen a circumstance that felt like a deep dark hole that you didn't know where it was going to go? And yet in retrospect, you see how God delivered you and sent you off in a, a totally new direction. Something better than you could have even imagined. I identify with all kinds of aspects of this psalm, and, and this is one of them. When I, uh, particularly this year, it's, it's been a crazy roller coaster ride for, for me personally, and my family who's stuck in the back seats of the roller coaster. And when, I, when I resigned back in February, it was a mess, it was brokenness conflict, uncertainty. There were all kinds of, of consequences. I had to face all kinds of things that I wish I would have done differently in the past. Mistakes I made. Wrong things that I did. Sin I committed. Things I needed to try to make right. And yet, when I look back, even in the midst of that, God has brought me to a completely different place. When I look back, I can say with David that Yes, no, I, I, I felt the weight of this. And yet, that only lasts comparatively a moment, it feels like, when I look back. As God has, has brought me to a, a completely different place. Not solved everything, not made everything certain from here on out or anything like that. But there's a definite reversal, a definite change. And in response to that, we're all supposed to, to respond and and give thanks, to, to sing praises, to thank God for who He is and what He's done. Where have you seen things like this in your life? Where have you experienced consequences from God? Where have you felt like you were enduring the anger of God, whether you were or not, and yet, and yet in retrospect, it seems like it was so temporary compared to what He has done since? Well, in, in verse 6, David shifts a little bit. He shifts from these expressions of praise and he almost kind of does a, one of these flashback kind of scenes if it were a, a show or a, 
a, a movie. He kind of looks back. He's, he's, he's been speaking from the vantage point of, of God already having delivered him from all this stuff. Now he looks back to when he was kind of still in the middle of it. It's kind of a, a flashback. He says, he says, as for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. This word for prosperity means ease, comfort. He's saying, he's saying look, I think back to a time when I felt totally secure. I kind of felt untouchable in some way. I, I, I said, I said, everything's good, and I started to assume that it, it would continue to be good. I said, I will never be moved. I'm, I'm kind of untouchable. It kind of calls to mind the, the proverb that you may have heard before, pride goes before destruction. Or pride, depending on your translation, pride goes before a fall. Have you felt this way? Maybe explicitly, outwardly, publicly. Some of you who are louder might, might have, have boasted at different times. Like, you know, things are good, and I'm pretty sure they're going to stay that way. Pretty sure on God's, I'm on God's good side, and it's all gonna, it's just kind of downhill from here. I've arrived, right? Or maybe some wouldn't be that bold about it externally, but they would think about it more internally. You might, you might start to assume that privately. This is hardest to avoid when things are going really well, right? When things seem to be going really well around you, it's, it, it's hard not to connect the dots and be like, you know. I guess God just really does love me, and I guess I am pretty dang important to Him, and I guess He would be at least kind of slightly in trouble without me, right? And, and I think things are just going to continue in this way, right? Start to write checks based on, but, on the assumption that it will always continue. I experienced this a lot in the, the early days of Mars Hill. For almost 10 years straight, Mars Hill as a church grew between 50 and 150% every year, year over year. If that happens for that long, whether it's a business, a church, maybe a family if you have a larger family, um, you, 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 start to, you start to kind of assume. And, and I did. I, I wasn't boasting about it like, I'm so awesome, this is always going to continue. I, but I still kind of started to assume. You start to assume that it's just like, well, okay, well, I guess it'll... You know, this time next year, it'll be another kind of 50%, maybe double. We'll see, you know. If, if you ever had an investment that, that maybe went that way financially, you start to assume or, or, or count on it. And there's just not much that you can assume or count on in this world, right? It's hard to think it's not going to continue. But then the bottom drops out at times. And this is what David says. He says, he says look, I started to, to presume on the grace of God but your favor, O Lord, it was only by your favor, only by your grace that you made my, my mountain stand strong, my life in this kind of position of prosperity, to use his word. And then it flipped. Then you hid your face and I was dismayed. You withdrew your blessing. And I kind of freaked out is what he's saying. He's like, look, I thought we had a deal. I thought everything was going to continue. In David's life, it's like, look, I, I had all these victories and then I came to a, a place of, of peace. I assume that was just going to last, right? Didn't we get all that out of the way? And God's judgment came upon him and he cried out. He says, I cried to the Lord. I, I pleaded for mercy. And he cries out saying, God, God, really? You, you want me dead? That's what he's saying? That's how he felt? He's like, really? You, you want all this to fall apart? What, what good does that do you? He's asking questions. He says, what profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Who will praise you then? Hear and be merciful to me. Be my helper. 
David doesn't reveal the exact circumstances that he was in the midst of, but he does say that, that pride was at the heart of it. Seems to be what he's saying. As he looks back, he says, he says look, I see my pride, this, this sense that, that, that things were good and they were just going to continue to be good and that I would never be moved, that I was unshakable. Was at the heart of this. And, and then God humbled me is what he's saying. He's confessing this. He took God's blessing for granted and, and, and God humbled him. It reminds me a lot of, of Job. Job comes, God, God ends up kind of testing Job. He, he allows all these kind of things that Job had started to count on to, to be taken away and to see what would happen with Job. And, and Job passed the test. He continues to worship God and, and God restores him with more than he ever had in the first place. Like Job, God is humbling David in the midst of this. Like Job, God turned everything around. Have you had a situation like this as well? I hope some things are starting to, to come to mind. And here's his conclusion. He concludes where he started. Kind of a bookending the psalm with praise. He says, but at the end of the day, you turn for me my, my mourning into dancing. This is the definitive movement that I talked about at the beginning. From, from disorientation to a new orientation. From, he moved from, from mourning all the way to, to dancing. He said, you loosed my sackcloth. That's a... That's an outfit that you would wear for, for mourning and grief in Old Testament culture. You, you, you took off my, my clothing of grief and gave me clothing of, of gladness, he says. You moved me from, from death to life. You changed everything, is what he's saying. So that my glory, whatever glory I have, he's saying, will sing your praise, not my own. I can't be silent anymore. I, I can't be silent about this, David says. I will sing your praise. I will give thanks to you forever. I will let everyone know and I will invite everyone to join me because you turned everything around. That's what God did in David's life and that's what He does in so many of our lives as well. But all of this, as compelling as it is, what has happened in, in David's life, and David... It's an amazing story of all the things that he went through. All the things that God delivered him from. And all the ways that David responded, bad, you know, good and bad, over the years. But as is always the case in the Psalms, in the, the, the kind of bigger perspective of the Bible, we're meant to look at the example of David, but he's always meant to, to point us towards the example of someone else, and that's Jesus. David suffered and was delivered, but, but Jesus is the one who ultimately fulfills even more so everything about Psalm 30. David felt like he endured the Father's anger briefly. Jesus, when He was on the cross, He took the full weight of the sin of, of the whole world onto Himself. And He actually, truly, fully took the wrath of God onto Himself. Way more than David ever did. David felt like he was going down to the grave, but Jesus actually went down to the grave. David felt like he was delivered from death, kind of metaphorically. Jesus truly died and was truly raised from the dead in His resurrection. So Jesus shows what ultimate deliverance. What ultimate reversal. Jesus' life is the ultimate turnaround of all time. But Jesus isn't just the, the ultimate example of this kind of thing. 
He also becomes the, the means of God's grace and deliverance for everyone who would trust Him. Because it's only through Jesus that we would be drawn up from the depths of sin and death. It's only through Jesus that God's anger against us would only be for a moment. It's only through Jesus that God would ever hear our, our prayers for mercy and help and answer us. That means that, that everyone who trusts in Jesus' death and resurrection has been delivered. Things have been changed and a new direction, a new trajectory of your whole life has been set. If you are in Christ, everything is different. Everything is headed in a different way. If you have come to know Him, if you have trusted in His life and, and His death and His resurrection which make life with God possible, if you've trusted in Him, you have been delivered from sin and from everything that separates us from God. And ultimately, eventually, you will be delivered from all sickness, all trouble, everything that's wrong in this life when we see Him face to face. And so whether you identify with, with Psalm 30 practically or not, whether you, as we look at, at David's story that he tells through Psalm 30, if that resonates with you and, you and that reminds you of specific circumstances or not, all of us have reason to praise God because of what He has done for us, because of the ways He has turned everything around in and through Jesus. And that's meant to lead to our response. Which is what David says in Psalm 30. Praise. Sing praises to God. Give thanks to His holy name for, for all that He's done for us in Jesus. For forgiveness. For, for healing from all kinds of broken ways and broken things in our life. For, for being made right with God. For not having to endure and deal with the anger of God. For being patient with us in our pride. We sing praises to Him. We're going to sing in just a, a few minutes. That's what we do every time we gather. We, we take all of our different voices and we unify them together in one song. When We, we could all pray together, but it, you know, you, if you all pray at the same time, that kind of, unless it's a kind of a red prayer together, it's not as unifying. One of the reasons why we sing is because we sing, when we sing it, it kind of takes all of our individual voices and unifies them into one voice. Praising Him together. Singing His praise for what He has done for us. And, and being thankful. Having thankfulness kind of rise up in our hearts because of what He's done for us through Jesus. That's part of our response, but it's also praising Him for what He's also done in our lives. For how He has drawn us up from, from deep, dark places. How He has protected us from harm in practical ways. How He has brought healing in all kinds of ways, whether it be physical or emotional or spiritual. For all the ways He's healed us. Praising and thanking Him for how He has brought restoration in different points in time. How He has changed our, our mourning into dancing and joy. All of that's of course metaphorical. I'm not much of a dancer. Uh, as you might guess. I, I move a little to the beat now and then when I'm wearing a guitar, but the rest of life is not a lot of dancing that goes on for me personally, but you get what he's saying here. He, he's changed, you know, I, I guess that would be the true transformation for me is if he, he brought me from that all the way to dancing. I, I, I'm not quite dancing yet for Dora Hope, but, but, um, but I'm encouraged. I'm deeply encouraged. I'll, I'll say that. And I feel this a lot right now. 
I identify very closely with what we're talking about here in, in Psalm 30. One of the most profound points of, of disorientation for me, truly in that, that sense of the word, is was, was earlier this year in, in February when, when conflict brought me to the point of, of resigning. I felt like it was the right thing to do. I had a clear conscience about it. But it raises a real question like, okay God, I feel like You're leading me to make this move, to make this decision. I believe this is what You're supposed to do, but what in the world are You up to? I, I did what I felt like God wanted me to do, but I had absolutely no idea where it was going to lead. It wasn't a part of a, a calculated plan or a strategy that led to any other move. It was simply what God convicted me of. And God brings us to those places so many times in life, right? Where, where you come up to a point where it's like, Okay, God. I mean, it's truly that like step of faith where you just kind of step out and you're like, man, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what this is going to lead to. But I feel like this is what I'm supposed to do and so I'm going to do it. I felt consequences. I felt conviction. I was questioning God. Not, not, not denying Him, but questioning Him. Like, God, what? Jesus, this what? I mean, I was a part of Mars Hill Church for all these years almost 16 years, and then that ended, and now, over the course of a week, you brought me to the place where I feel like what I'm supposed to do before you is to resign. What in the world are you doing? Where is this going? What has this all been for, right? That's the essence of disorientation. Being disoriented. You're kind of lost. You're wondering where in the world is God and where is it going? But then as I look back, honestly, I see how quickly that changed. And I don't want to try to gloss over that either. I don't want to try to say like, you know, like I had this one conversation and everything was different and I was totally cool with it all. Like, I'm not going to paint that at all. It wasn't, it wasn't an overnight victory in Jesus type situation. It was a very hard season, but, but when I look back, the light kind of started to shine into the darkness quickly for me. I even felt that way at that time. I mean, even 48 hours after I resigned, I was sitting on this stage through a, a particularly awkward meeting, and even in that, there was, there was a different kind of hope that came through that. There, there, was, there was things that God did through that meeting and, and, and ways that, that this church just was the church, was God's people that, that, that quickly sent this off in a different direction. I, I, I thought, I, I've, I've joked about this before, I felt released from this for 48 hours and then I haven't since, right? From that meeting on, I was like, oh, okay. I, don't, I still don't know where this is going, but clearly, I'm still supposed to be a part of this. Clearly, there's still something that you're, you're up to in the midst of it. I felt God's grace and forgiveness. He made direction increasingly clear over time. So many people, so many of you came around, my family and I, God turned a time of, of grief and brokenness into something different for me. And, and I think the same is true for our church. And it's not just now, it's, it's happened over and over again. From the death of, of Mars Hill Church to failures of leadership to abrupt leadership changes to conflict through all kinds of crazy things, God has held a church together here. Showing that beyond the shadow of a doubt, the church that remains here is not here because of any one person, right? 
The church that remained here showed that that they were not just here for Mark Driscoll when Marcel died. And the church that remained here showed that they weren't about me or any one other particular person when they remained after we all resigned. And yet at the same time, all of this has, has taken its toll on us, right? And the future has been unclear for us together, for us individually, but at just the right time, it feels like. At just the right time. God seems to have provided a way forward, and I didn't see it coming. I know some of you suggested it, but even when you suggested the idea of joining with another church, it just didn't seem like it was worth considering at the time. And, and uh, I mean, even a specific conversation happened in those early days, even with Josh White. And at that, at that point, Josh was like, no, this is too soon. I'm not sure this is the thing. But, but, but later, a few months later, all of a sudden, a different idea came up. To put our, our two churches together in a way that we hadn't seen before. To be able to see things happen together that neither church is able to see on their own. That's truly what this is. This isn't just an assimilation or a takeover. This is two churches coming together so that more people will know what Jesus is like in a city that needs to know Him. And that's what's so encouraging. The, this is just not something that, that happens on our own. This isn't the brainchild of, of Josh White and Tim Smith. This is, this, is, this is a work of God because I've been around quite a few of these kind of things. On the other end, uh, more on the door to hope end of things uh, in my experience in Mars Hill, but, but I've been around many others and this is not usually how it goes. There's not usually this, this clear of a direction. There's usually not this clear of a, a consensus where folks just generally are like, yeah, this seems like a good idea. Yeah, this seems like the right time. God has and He will continue to provide for us. And, and I don't see this as a death or a defeat, and I want to encourage you not to see it that way either. This is God building and leading and caring for His church. And, and, and an important part of that as you consider this, is, the, is this point. I don't believe God has ever promised to sustain indefinitely any particular local church. Local churches come and they go. They rise and they fall. And when you look around, there are very few local churches that are, are thriving and growing churches that last for generations. I'm not saying there's none. But I've, I've walked by Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, and, and Charles Spurgeon's church in London. You know, there's still a thing there, but it's not the kind of thing it was. If, if this was not God's will, then I would suggest, because I believe in the sovereignty of God, then it would not have happened that way. And I can only assume that this is part of God's plan, that, that His church, capital C, is what He has promised to preserve. And the local church, lowercase c, He has not promised to preserve. They have seasons. I can only conclude that because this is the way it seems to unfold over and over and over again for thousands of years now. In the same way, I can only conclude that God wanted Mars Hill Church to end because He had something else in mind. Because the only alternative is a God that is in heaven wherever He is, wringing His hands going, oh man, I had great plans for this thing. Those guys just screwed it up. I, I really wanted to do good things, but I guess I can't now. 
And that's not the God I believe in. I believe in the God of, I believe in the God of, of, of Revelation chapter 1 and 2 where Jesus sends letters to churches and says that He closes them down at times. He, he sustains churches that He wants to. He moves on from other churches that He doesn't. Churches come. Churches go. But His church, capital C, which is made up of all people who belong to God throughout all time, that's what He has promised to never abandon. That will never die. Names will change along the way as they have already in the case of our church. But God's people continue. And this is what God does over and over and over again. From the first humans who were created in perfect relationship with God and then jacked it up and through His grace were restored to us here today in Portland, sin and pride mess everything up and God is slowly in His time making everything new. Bringing life from death. Turning mourning into dancing. Taking us from disoriented places to, to places where we grow in our faith and our trust and what God is doing. And this is another one of those things. This is another one of those milestones. Now, me personally, I know it's the same case with you guys. Everybody's going to feel this in a different way. I feel this in a different way depending on when you talk to me. Depending on which hour you talk to me, which day you talk to me. Generally speaking, I'm someone that, that looks forward, looks down the line, and so I'm pretty stoked on the vision of where this is headed. But here's, here's what's going to happen, I'm pretty sure. Uh, I'm going to be really busy through this transition. Uh, and then, as you've heard, I'm going to end up taking a sabbatical. And, and uh, a key mentor in my life, a guy named Morris, who I've been meeting with pretty regularly, he's like, look, he's like, look, you're, you're, you're doing really great right now. You're going to get a month into your sabbatical, and, and you're going to get bored, and you're going to feel like a big, giant freaking failure. Maybe he's right. Time will tell. We'll see. You can call me a month into my sabbatical and check. I, I know everybody's going to feel this differently. I know I'm going to feel this differently at different points in time, right? But I believe what I'm telling you. I'm not just telling you this to try to motivate you and feel, make you feel better. I'm not just trying to put a spin on this. I really believe what I just said. And that's what I'm going to continue to preach to myself. The only way I failed is if we have the assumption that this church had to work no matter what. And that I, as a particular leader, had to be able to make it work no matter what. If I don't believe that, then it's not a failure. It's just simply where God is, is leading and moving. Now, I might feel that way next week or later today. Um, but, but this is what I'm going to discipline myself. This is what, what, when I feel that way, I need to do exactly what I'm encouraging you to do. And preach this good news to yourself. Preach the news that I still belong to God that He is in the business of transformation, that this is just another change along the way, and that He has made it so clear and we don't need to question that. We just need to look forward to what God is going to do. And, and it's not bad to look back and celebrate and remember. It's not bad to look sad or feel a, a, a sense of loss in certain ways of, of things that were a part of Redeemer that won't be a part going forward with Door of Hope. Things that you can think about now that might be that way. Things that you'll find out, you know once the, whatever honeymoon wears off a few months down the road or a few weeks or whatever, <laughs> however long your honeymoon is. But this is what God does. Continually 
changing and reversing and transforming. And so, with all of that said, with all of that talk about our local church, I just want to bring it all the way back to us personally. Where, what's God showing you right now as we consider all this? What, God, what is God, God doing in your heart? What, what has God done in your life? What has He done for you through Jesus? What has He done for you in specific circumstances of your life? How has He delivered you? How has He changed you? And how are we to respond? And when we, when we respond in praise and thanks for the first time, when we see what God has done for us and say, God, I've never seen this before. I praise You. I worship You. I thank You. That's called becoming a Christian. And when we continue to do that over and over and over again, it's just reminding ourselves of what He's done so that we walk more closely with Him and have more joy and thankfulness fill our hearts and change us. And so I throw these questions out just as we conclude our time here in the Word for you to consider both here this morning as we respond now as well as as when we gather together this week in, in community groups and in conversation with one another. What, what do we have to praise and thank God for in our lives? What has He done in your lives? How has He transformed your circumstances and your heart and your attitude and this, the specific details of your life? And then I, want, I think it's also appropriate, and I'm going to keep doing this with the, the time that we have left as Redeemer Church, I want us to, to consider and to remember and to celebrate what He has done for us in the life of our church. What do we have to, to praise God for and be thankful for as a church? What has He done along the way? I want to share more of those things in the weeks that we have left. I want us to, to have a heart of, yes, there there are things that we will lose in this, but, but more than anything else, I want us to be thankful for what God has done for the time He has given us and, and be hopeful because of that for what He will continue to do in the future. And that leads to the third, which is this trajectory of so many of these psalms where God, You have changed everything and the trajectory is always, and I can't contain it, so everyone, you need to hear and you need to join with me. How can we share that? That thankfulness with others. Who can we share that with this week? Let's pray and we'll respond together. Father, we confess along with David that You have changed our lives. You have turned places of, of mourning and darkness and disorientation and depression and consequence into times of, of praise and thankfulness and satisfaction. We just praise You for ultimately how You've done that through Jesus. How through Jesus You have delivered us from, from sin and death and everything that separates us from You. And we praise You for how You've done that practically in so many ways in our life. And we praise You for how You've just led us as a church to this coming transition, this, this joining of, of Redeemer with Door of Hope. And I just ask that as we do that, as we, as we conclude our life as Redeemer Church, that You would just give us a sense of joy and satisfaction and encouragement and thankfulness 
for all that You've done. And that that thankfulness and that joy would be contagious. That it would spill over into to those in our lives, in our families, in our workplace, in our neighborhoods. That that thankfulness might be contagious and might, might help others to see more of who You are and what You've done and what You can do and the things that You can transform in their lives. So just ask that You would do that work in our hearts even now as we respond to You this morning. Amen.